I we'll invite you to pull out the connection card that is in front of you and take a minute and fill that out. That'll give us an opportunity to connect with you. And if you have a prayer request or a uh, praise that you would like us to be aware of, please not, jot, not that, uh, jot that down on the back of this and we would love to uh, keep you in our prayers this week. Also, if you are a guest here with us, this is a great way for us to get in touch with you this week. And so f- just fill that out and leave it on the pew and the ushers will come around and pick it up after the service. Also, on the back of the connection card, you might just jot down baptism and new members class. Just put that down. We'll know what you mean. Uh, the baptism and new members class starts on March 4th at 9, 9.20 in the morning in room, chap, in room 2, which is our library. And so keep that in mind. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you say, I want to make it official. I want to join the church. Or maybe you're here and you think, you know what? I have never been baptized and I'm a follower of Jesus. And we'd love to be able to celebrate that with you. And so that is an opportunity for, us to, for you to come and to learn about what's that mean to be a member of West Covina Christian Church or to be baptized. And, uh, we'll have the, and that'll be a, a, a class that runs for approximately six weeks starting on March chapter 4th, or March 4th. Uh, I don't know why I say, sorry, March 4th. We'll we'll get into Jonah chapter 4 in a second. Maybe that's where it's coming from. I don't know. But anyway, uh, one other announcement. Battle of the Ages basketball game. And the only reason I bring this to your attention is that you'll see they've changed the ages it's now 39 pluses, the veterans. And the reason they've changed the ages is to help the young guys out. <laughs> you see, where, where is Coyote here? I'm only giving this announcement for the Coyote's sake because Coyote takes this very seriously. I love to give him a hard time. The old guys are up two games to one. So this is game number, this is game number four, and we'll see. Uh, but Battle of the Ages... All are invited to participate. If you want to jump in the game, uh, that's fine. Uh, let Eric, Eric Aguero know. Uh, but if you want to just come and watch March 4th after the service. Okay, that's it for announcements this morning. Please take time to read the rest of the announcements on the back of your program. As we look at, as we be prepared to get started in our sermon this morning, let me just say right up front, what we're going to be looking at today is... Uh, is the comparison between Jonah's heart and God's heart. And in the passage that we are going to look at, we see a very strong contrast. On one side, we have Jonah's heart, which is a heart for justice. That as he has gone in and preached to the uh, people, the city of Nineveh, it is his desire that they receive what they deserve, that they would be punished for the evil acts that they have committed But then on the other side, we see a very different picture, and that is we see the heart of God. And with the heart of God, we see really a heart of mercy, that God relents from the punishment that the city deserves, and uh, and He gives to them mercy. And so my prayer is that as we look at these two hearts in juxtaposition, that God would cause our hearts to be stirred to move more towards mercy than to justice. More towards forgiveness 
than the idea of punishment or, get, or giving someone what they deserve. You see, we have Jonah's heart on one side and we have God's heart on the other. And this stark contrast leads us to examine our own hearts and lives. Would we line up more with Jonah's heart in wanting justice over mercy? Or would we line up more with God's heart in wanting mercy over justice? And so we're going to wrestle with these things. Do you have a heart of mercy? Individually, would you say that you have a heart of mercy? And then as a church, are we a church of mercy? And I know full well these are things that are much easier said than done. There are those in our lives that simply just make our lives more stressful and more difficult and more burdensome, and we react with a sense of justice. We want to see them get what they deserve because of the harm that they have brought into our own lives. And there are those in our lives that make our life less pleasurable, less enjoyable, less profitable, and it is tremendously difficult to want to extend to them mercy. But God is a God of mercy. In fact, He is a God of both justice and mercy. Yes, God punishes sin, but as we will see today, even His justice flows out of His heart of mercy. And so the title of today's message is, Where is Your Heart? Mercy over justice. Mercy over justice. Naturally, we are bent towards justice, but God is calling us to mercy. And as we'll see, the heart of mercy has tremendous benefits, not only to us as a church, but also to us personally and individually. And so let's consider these things together. As I said, we are going to be looking at Jonah chapter 4. But I'm going to start with the last verse in chapter 3 because it helps us just get a little context, remind us where we are at together. This is Jonah 3 verse 10 and it says, By the way, you have few Bibles in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, just take that Bible home. We really want you to have uh, God's Word in your own hands that you can read it. We believe that in God's Word there is life. And so take a Bible home and and begin to read what God has for us. Here's the text for us today, Jonah 3.10. When God saw what they, the Ninevites, did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So Jonah has gone into the city, and he has preached uh, to them that they will be destroyed, Uh, But they have repented, and God has relented of that disaster. And now, our main text here today, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, Oh, Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, Lord, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? 
Let's take a minute and pray that God would speak to us through our text this morning. Father God, now we just pause and ask for your help. We pray that you would help us to ha- uh, take from this passage what you would have for us today. We pray that you would speak uh, to us. That you, God, I pray that you would even just call my heart and may, it, may these words come from you. And may your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. What jumps out at us in the first reading of this passage is that Jonah has no desire for mercy. Like that is as plain as day. And we've assumed it from the beginning, but now Jonah says it explicitly. The very reason I fled to Tarshish was because I didn't even want to give the Ninevites a chance to repent. Look at what he says here in verse 2. Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you would be relenting from disaster. Jonah did not want the Ninevites to receive any mercy. Jonah's heart was justice over mercy all the way. And in Jonah's mind, his desire was for the Ninevites to be destroyed. And that was justified. They deserved punishment, not mercy. I'd like to give us three points about Jonah's resentment of God's mercy. And I personalize these because I think they apply to us. The first is that our anger towards God may be justified. Our anger towards God may be justified. I look at Jonah's complaint here, and I can understand where he's coming from. I mean, he looks at the Ninevites, and he remembers the things that they have done to his own people, Israel, how the Assyrians have come in and attacked the Israelites and then assaulted the women and beaten the POWs and how they have just been, they have terrorized his people. And, and uh, as he thinks about all of these, he can, he can say honestly in his heart that my hatred is, towards them is justified, that they deserve God's punishment. And we might be able to say similar things about those in our lives as well, that they don't deserve uh, mercy, that they really deserve justice. I mean, the first example that comes to mind are those that we saw that were unfairly attacked and killed this week in Florida. I mean, our hearts ought to break and we ought to want justice towards that man that did that evil. Every night when we turn on the daily news or when you, when you get online and you look at what's happened, there are quote-unquote enemies all around us. Criminals and terrorists. Maybe we even have politicians. And all of these things, they, they work up within us. Can't justice be done? And then it's not just those that are far out, but also those that are in our everyday lives. An enemy is a strong word, but that is a biblical word. And maybe there are those in our lives that we would even consider enemies, so to speak. Those that we would rather have justice and give justice to than mercy. It could even be members of our own family. Immediate or extended family. And we think, man, they have, made, they have brought difficulty in my own life and... I would love for them to just get a little bit of God's justice. Or maybe it's a person at work, maybe even your boss, and 
unnecessary uh, stress, may they get God's justice, a little taste of their own medicine. Or maybe it's a coworker that has unfairly criticized you or is, or is difficult to work with. And it's hard for you to even be nice to that person. Or, and I think of bullies at school or something or someone that uh, said something at one point and you were maybe once friends with them, but now you are at odds with them. And I give all of these examples to just help us to understand that we may very well in our hearts say, you know what, that ju- that, uh, God's punishment towards them would be justified and that anger rises up within us. And Jonah's anger was not only towards the Ninevites, but it was actually towards God himself. Because when he looked at God, he said, God, you are not only not doing what I want you to do, but you are doing evil. That is actually what verse 1 says. In the English it reads, it displeased Jonah exceedingly. But the word here, and maybe the reason we don't translate it this way, is because we don't like to think of God doing evil which he doesn't, but this is what Jonah says. Twice he repeats it, and this is a literal translation. To Jonah, it was an evil, a great evil. Jonah probably could have quoted Psalm 73, 1. Surely God is good to Israel. Not to all the nations, not to these other people. God is supposed to be good to my people. And so God is not only disappointing, but God is doing wrong. And so we might be able to step back and say, come on, Jonah, now, you're taking this a little too far, that God is doing evil? Now, I know that the Ninevites have done wrong, but can't you see the big picture that God is, uh, that, that it is not wrong for God to save these people if they have turned and repented from their sins? And we just want to say, come on, Jonah, take the high road, choose mercy over justice, but then I wonder if people were to look at our lives, and maybe our lives would be, the, the story of our lives would be written down, and we were to look back on our lives hundreds of years after it happened, would they not also say, come on now, this person that you hang on to unforgiveness towards, this person that you have bitterness to or anger towards, can't you see that it's not really doing you any good? Can't, can't you express forgiveness to that person? And we don't look very godly when we're filled with anger and unforgiveness. Jonah doesn't look very good here, and we aren't very godly when when we act in this way. Verse 1 goes on to emphasize Jonah's anger even further. The English translation says he was angry, but that doesn't really get at the emotionally charged words that are used here in the Hebrew. The literal translation we might say, and I have to expand it to try to capture the, the idea here that Jonah was inflamed, burning with anger. I mean, Jonah was on fire. He was so angry. And the reason was, was because he knew that God was going to be compassionate to this city. And he had the heart of justice. But he knew that God's heart was towards mercy. This is what Jonah knew in his heart of hearts. There's been a lot of wondering kind of throughout this past, throughout the book of Jonah about who God is. For example, in chapter 1, the sailors said, maybe God will take notice of us and we will not perish. 
And then the Ninevite king in chapter 3. Who knows? God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger. But with Jonah, there's no maybes and there's no who knows. Jonah knew full well this is what God would do. I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from danger, from disaster. Jonah knew full well this was the character of God. In fact, these words were the most commonly uh, used words to describe who God is. Thirteen times are these exact words used in the Old Testament. That God is a God who is a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. The first time they were used uh, came from the lips of God himself. Moses had come down from Mount Sinai with the first copy of the Ten Commandments, remember this? And he saw that the people had built a golden calf and he throws them down in anger and then he has this heart-to-heart talk with God and they're having it out. And Moses says, I'm not going to do it anymore unless you show me your glory. And God says, I can't show you my full glory. I can't, or you'll die. And so what he says is, I'm going to hide you behind the rock, in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cause my goodness to pass behind you. And as I do, I'll proclaim my name. And this is what he proclaims. I am the gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in love. It's there with Moses. Again, here it's with Jonah. It's all over the Bible because this is who God is. And I just want to let you know this is still who God is. The God that you have come to worship this morning and the God that you have come to hear from this morning is a God of grace. And he's a God of mercy, slow to anger, and he's abounding in love. This is God's heart. There is always mercy. And that ought to to fill our souls with tremendous amount of joy and satisfaction. The second point I want to give this morning is that God's mercy is greater than his justice. God's mercy is greater than his justice. You see, I think really that statement right there is sometimes why we don't understand what is going on all around us in our world. Because our minds are geared towards justice. I mean, that's the natural bent that we have. And we can't understand why certain things happen. Why would a Christian ever get cancer? Or why would godly parents ever have a wayward child? Or why would an innocent kid get bullied at school and we just want to cry out to God and we, and we want to just wonder, God, what is it that, is, that we are doing here? And our sense of justice is good. In fact, that mirrors God's heart for, for uh, the world as well. And it drives us to try to remedy these things. And we pray, and God oftentimes heals, and he intervenes, and he reconciles. But sometimes we just want to say, God, why didn't you stop it before it started? Why didn't you get that killer out of Florida before he went into the school? Why do all of these things happen? And all, of, and all I can say is we don't know for sure. But we have to trust that God has a purpose and a plan in all of these things. And that somehow, in some way, God's mercy is going forth with power. 
that in some way his mercy is greater than his justice. God says in Isaiah chapter 55, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so my word goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You see, God, God's ways and God's purposes go forth, and we might not understand them. And they are higher than what we can understand, but there is a purpose in everything that he does. And I just think that his purpose is ultimately motivated by his mercy. That his mercy is somewhere in there, that God is working out all of these things for the greater good, so that somehow we might come to know him and experience who he really is. And this is who God is. He is a gracious God and a merciful God. He is abounding in steadfast love. What we have here at this, in this chapter of Jonah is really the high point of the whole book. Now, we've been going through this book, and as we've said, there's been bits and pieces here pointing to who God is, but now Jonah gets to the heart of the matter, and we really see the, as plain as day who Jonah is and who God is. We've gotten to the heart of the matter. And at this point, and in fact, this is the only point in the whole book where we actually have dialogue between God and Jonah. God has spoken to Jonah, go to uh, Nineveh and preach the gospel, but Jonah doesn't answer back. And God, Jonah has talked to God. He prays in the belly of the great fish, but God is silent. And over and over again, we have this one person talk. And now here in chapter 4, we've reached the high point. Because now, finally, we have two-way conversation, and, and that is really what prayer is. Jonah is getting real with God, and he says, God, this is how, how I really uh, feel, and it is in this honest, authentic prayer that we are able to see what is in Jonah's heart, and we are able to see what is in God's heart. And that, to me, is encouraging, because I think that is what leads us forward as Christians as well. That God is calling us to be honest and authentic with God himself. And sometimes that may mean, just like Jonah did, that you yell and scream at God. And you just have it all out. But it is in that heartfelt, authentic prayer that if your heart remains open to God, then you actually might get a glimpse of what is in your own heart And you might get a glimpse of who God is, and it is life-transforming. And as Jonah cries out to God, we see here that God is a God of mercy. It is mercy over justice. And God wants us to be a people of mercy as well. God says, Hosea 6.6, I desire mercy, not sacrifice and the acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See, when we think of 
sacrifice and burnt offerings. I mean, these are very religious acts in the Old Testament. This is what we're talking about, these religious acts. And as a church, we could have all the best religious activities in the world, but if we are not a people of mercy, we will never do much for the kingdom of God. Do you understand that? If we are not a people of mercy, as a church, God's ways will not get very far here in this place. And I, and I, I want to give some application here. I've wrestled with this, and, I, and I'll be honest, I don't have a particular person or relationship in my mind. I just want to... I have a feeling that there very well could be people here in our church that in one way or another, you are holding unforgiveness to someone else in the church. And it could be something that happened a week ago. It could be something that happened years ago. But you're not able to get to a place of mercy. Mercy over justice. And the Bible teaches us that it is best to face these things head on. To, be, to, uh, to deal with it directly and to be truthful to one another. It is not the way of God to ignore the problem or just to kind of say, yeah, they're there and I'm here and we'll just keep our own separate ways. Ephesians 4 says, Therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, and we're talking about anger here this morning, in your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. So in other words, deal with it and then get the last phrase here. And do not give the devil a foothold. You see, if we let unforgiveness just kind of fester in our hearts and in our church, Satan will get a foothold here and we will not experience all that God has for us. Now, I don't know who I'm talking to, but I just want to encourage you that if you have unforgiveness towards someone, go and talk to that person. In fact, Pastor Steve and I would be more than willing to sit down with you and that individual and uh, just to help along that conversation. Now, there are some things that are said that we know they were done innocently and we can just let go. I'm talking about things that are hurting our relationship with our brothers and sisters. Jesus taught us, should you not have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And that causes us to think about how God has been so merciful to us and forgiven us of so much. And is that not what the faith is all about? And if we call ourselves Christians, should we not also seek to extend mercy to one another? Now, this is good for us as a church. As we said, God's work will go forth with power, but it is also good for us personally. You can sense here that Jonah, in, uh, in in his anger, is miserable. Look at what he says here in verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. Jonas, in his anger, he's, he's pleading with the Lord to kill him. He's miserable. And that leads us to our third point. Hanging on to anger is not good for our souls. 
hanging, and this is very applicable. We think about hanging on to anger and unforgiveness. It is not good for our souls. Jonah declares how he wants to die and how miserable he is, and then God, and I, and I look at this question from God that this is spoken with such tender kindness. I, I think this is meant to be, God to Jonah, a very gentle question. Jonah, do you do well to be angry? In other words, look at your life, Jonah. Is this anger really satisfying you? The word here for well is a Hebrew word tov, and it's usually translated uh, well or good, and that seems kind of simplistic. What is really here is, he's talking about what's at the foundation of what's within us. God asked Jonah to look inwardly, and he says, is it really doing your soul, your heart any good? Because life with God is meant to be lived out, out of a wellspring of soul satisfaction. So that when we are able to let go of anger and let go of bitterness and resentment and unforgiveness, our souls do well. We are able to experience the deep satisfaction of rest in Christ. And so I encourage you to lay aside your burdens. I just encourage you to lay aside those harmful and hurtful things that were said to you. And to lay aside the weight of, the, of worrying about what others think of you. And to be able to experience the true and deep peace that, and joy that comes from knowing that God in, is in our lives and he cares for us. And so God asked Jonah, do you do well to be in anger? And we can turn the question around and look at it for, from another angle. Is it not good for your soul to forgive? Is it not good for your soul to love and to be merciful? Now, before we close, I want to share a story with you that happened to my life in my life several years ago. It's a lot easier to talk about these things when they're like a long time past because maybe I've grown a little bit. Who knows? But uh, there, it, uh, in one of my previous churches, I was... Uh, a pastor of this church, and there was a woman in the church who's, uh, I, I, she's acted like it was her job to make my life very difficult. In fact, this, I think she thought of this as her ministry, and she was very good at ministry. I mean, uh, it, it, uh, every week it seemed like it was something new. I mean, she, she uh, if you were to ask me, uh, who is it, uh, Corey, that makes that you have a hard time being merciful to. It wouldn't have taken me half a second, and this uh, person's uh, face would have come to my mind. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I would get up to preach some Sundays, and this is not an exaggeration. Ask Chelsea. This is not an exaggeration. It might sound like an exaggeration. I would announce the topic of the sermon. I haven't even started preaching yet. I just announced the topic, and she rolls her eyes, and she's literally like turning around, looking around, for people that she's going to recruit to complain about my message as soon as the service is over. And uh, I got to church one week, and she's there, and before the church even starts, and I forget what was said or what was done, but I snapped. I lost it. And I said something I shouldn't have had, and I, I wanted to let her have it. 
And then the church service starts. And so I make my way to the front pew and I sit down and uh, the worship music starts and you can imagine what's going on in my heart. I can't even sing. I start to get, I start to get uh, guilt. Now I could have justified it. I could have said, yeah, she deserved what I said to her. That's what she, that's what she deserved. She should have never said that to me in the first place. I had a heart of justice over mercy. But as I'm sitting there thinking, I'm thinking, this is not the heart that God wants me to have. God longs for me to have a heart of mercy. And so I sat through one song after another, and then I decided I made my way to the stage, and I, I interrupted the worship team. I said, I got to say something. And, uh, and I stood up there, and because some others had heard me say it, I apologized to this woman in front of the whole church. And then I sat down, we sang our last song, and I got up to preach. And as soon as I got done uh, preaching, a young man came and he whispered in my ear, he says, I have something to say. So we get up and interrupt the worship team again. No, I'm just kidding, we didn't do that. We waited till the song was over. And then he gets up and he says, I have never been in a church in which the pastor would say something like that. And if this is that kind of church, then I want to be a part of that church. And it dawned on me in, in, uh, in that moment right there that a church of mercy over justice is the type of church that God wants us to have. And that's not just true for a previous church, that's true for our church as well. That God wants us to be a church of mercy over justice. That we would seek to be very merciful to one another. And it's not just good for our church, it's good for our own souls as well. And so I'd ask you this morning, and here is application, and uh, take these questions seriously. What is God calling you to do this morning? And without dismissing it too quickly, is there someone that you need to talk to? Examine your heart and your life and is there someone that God is leading you to talk to? Now, I realize that, is, that may be a very, very difficult thing to do. It is. But we, and we can't do it in our own strength. And that's why we need God's help and we need to pray. When Jesus was talking in the Sermon on the Mount about loving our enemies, he said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So it starts with prayer. God, give me the strength to do what I can't do on my, on my own. And then we pray for that person. Praying for that person is different than praying against that person. You know what a prayer against someone is. God, strike them down. But a prayer for someone is God, bless them. God, work in their hearts and it's very hard to hate someone when we have sincerely prayed for them for a long time. And there are people in your life that God is calling you to pray for. Family members, neighbors, friends, co-workers. God, help me to love and to be merciful to those that it's hard for me to love. And then lastly, I would say that God is calling us as a church to pray. 
In fact, Pastor Steve and I have been emphasizing that God is calling us to be a church of fervent prayer. And if we are to be a church of mercy, then we need to also be a church that is, first of all, grounded in prayer. And so I want to announce that we had a wonderful concert of prayer uh, a few weeks ago, and we have another one on the schedule. Concert of prayer, Wednesday, March 7th at 7 o'clock. Please put it on your calendars. Wouldn't it be wonderful if all of us come together and pray as a congregation? God is calling us to be a church that is grounded in fervent prayer. So let's come together, the whole church, and really commit our lives and our ministries to God. So in light of that, let's go before the Lord in prayer right now. Father God, I just pray, we thank God. First of all, I just want to thank you that you are a God of mercy. Every one of us here, without exception, and I'd be at, put my name at the top of the list, deserves your wrath and your justice because we have sinned against you. But God, you are a God who is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are a God who is full of grace and compassion and mercy. And God, right now, I lift each person here up to you, and I lift our church up to you, and pray that you would help us to be people of mercy. May we mirror who you are and put justice ahead of mercy, or to put mercy ahead of justice. Help us to be a people of justice, but help us, help that justice to really be motivated by mercy. In Jesus' name. Amen.